Uh, my name is Frank Manning. If you don't know me, I'm a senior. Uh, I'm going to be reading our passage tonight. Uh, and it's Psalm 73. So, here we go. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lofty, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell you of all your works. Okay, hey, me again for a second, because um, I'm going to just introduce y'all quick to our speaker for tonight. Um, ben is not with us this evening because uh, he this week is with a pastoral cohort of people. They're spending some time together away for some mutual refreshment, encouragement. It's a really good thing that Ben gets to be there and do that for this week. And so he asked his friend Nathan to come and uh, speak to us tonight. He is the pastor of a local church here in town called Faith Presbyterian. Uh, many of you call that your church home. Um, in addition to Felicity, our intern and her husband, they worship there on Sunday mornings. Um, but you will probably recognize him when he comes up here because he and his wife, Nicole, are here almost every Wednesday night because they really care about college students and they love y'all and want to get to know you. They usually have little like date night dinner before, plan their calendar, and then come here to worship together um, at RUF on Wednesday. Wednesday nights, and that is just a really significant thing to have a local church pastor who cares that much about college students and getting to know y'all. And so um, we're really thankful to have him, thankful that he is going to come bring a message. So you can come on up, and thanks for, thanks for being with us tonight. 
Thanks, Casey. All right, well, I think every time a pastor uh, speaks in a place like this, you have to stand up and say, hey, it's really great to be here. But I want you to know that I'm being very sincere when I say, hey, it's really great to be here. So um, at any rate, um, I'm very thankful to have this, this, uh, this privilege to be able to bring the word to you this evening. Um, first, I want to say a couple quick things. One is uh, my wife, Nicole, and I, we've been here in the Athens area for about four years, a little bit over four years. And um, there's some uh, familiar faces out here. And I just want to say thank you to the RUF community because as um, a lot of RUF students have allowed us into your lives and, and vice versa, um, our connection with RUF has really deepened and made our experience here in Athens so rich. So um, I, I, I just want to say that first. We're really um, uh, privileged that, that Ben has allowed us to come and to be part of this. Um, some people, I think, think of us as kind of like the old kind of parents of RUF. And um, so at, at any time, uh, we, we want to just open our lives to you. So we're, we're here and available to talk, to get to know you. Um, one of my favorite things is when a lot of times when I'm at church working um, during the day, I'll come home and my wife will, there'll be a strange car out in front of the house. And I'll come inside and my wife will have, you know, made chocolate chip cookies and she'll be hanging out with a girl or a couple of gals and, uh, and they'll just be, be spending time together like that. Um, so anyway, our, our, we have kind of an open door policy in our home, especially if any of you ever get homesick or anything like that, feel free to come and hang out with us. We would love to just incorporate you into our, uh, into our family. Um, the second thing I, I want to say is um, I'm excited to preach on this psalm because this is my favorite psalm. Can anybody say that Psalm 73 is their favorite psalm? Okay, awkward. Nobody at all. All right, well, that's okay, because um, I'm going to ask you again in 30 minutes, and I hope it will be your, your favorite psalm. But um, I'm preaching a series at my church on the book of Psalms. We started back when school started in August, and then we'll, we'll finish the book of Psalms uh, at Memorial Day, roughly right after school lets out. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I preached uh, this message at my church or something similar to this message. And my wife said, yeah, you should preach on your favorite psalm. That would, that would make a lot of sense. So let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to uh, turn our attention to, to the text. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, what you are, are doing in our lives. And those of us who know your son, Jesus Christ, and who, who call in his name, I thank you that you are present here in our midst that is one of your great promises that you left us with before you ascended back to the right hand of your Father. I pray that we would see you, Lord Jesus, in Psalm 73, a place where we might not uh, expect to, to find you. And I pray for any of my brothers and sisters here um, who might be struggling with what the psalmist was struggling with in Psalm 73, that this message might be tailor-made for, for them. So we ask for your presence and your help now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Has following Jesus Christ been worth it? Are you at times tempted to think that maybe your life would be a little bit better off if you just never had any connection with this whole Christianity thing? Have you ever had that thought or has that question or doubt maybe ever risen in your, in your mind or in your, in your soul? 
Uh, my father, ponder that for a moment. Uh, I'll come back to that. My father-in-law, my wife's uh, father is a marriage and family therapist out in California. So he's been doing that for about 35 years. He sees 40 clients every week. So he really has his finger on the pulse of what's happening with people. And so um, obviously as a pastor, I have that as well, but I'm not with you know, people for 40 hours a week like that. So whenever we're together, I always like to ask him questions about, okay, Mike, what are the trends? You know, what have you been hearing over the last year or two as people sit with you one-on-one -on -one and get your counsel? And um, a year or two ago, he shared something with me that I was uh, uh, sad to learn, but I was kind of surprised by it. Here, here's what he said. He said that the trend he's noticed is that there are a, a, um, an abnormally large number of middle-aged women who think this would be like your moms, basically, right? middle-aged women, um, who are leaving their husbands, their families, and their faith. That, that was kind of disturbing for me to learn. So he says there just seems to be this influx of women who get middle-aged in 40s, 50s, something like that, and just say, you know what, I'm kind of done, and just, and just walk away, walk away from it, from it all. And as we discussed that more, I said, I'm curious, what are the reasons for that? You know, why do you think this, this trend is, is happening? And he said in his observation is that um, a lot of uh, these women who he speaks with and Frankly, this could be you, even though you're not middle-aged like I am. Um, he said that a lot of them, they, they uh, kind of process what they're going through this way. Okay, I'm a Christian. I've been a, a good mom. I've been a good wife. I've been faithful to my, uh, my spouse. I've, I've been a good mother raising my, raising my kids. I go to church. I've played nice and done all these things. And my life is empty. I'm not satisfied with this life that I've got. And they just basically say, I'm out, I'm out. These promises of, of the gospel, promises in, in God's word have just not panned out for me. This is not a satisfying life. And so they leave. And furthermore, they look at their friends. This is important, with, especially with the connection to Psalm 73, 73. They look around at their friends who are not Christians and say, Look at her life. Look, look at the life that she's living. She seems to be living a better life than I'm living. Why bother with this Christianity stuff anymore? And I think what some of these people might be asking is, is this question, what difference has Jesus really made in my life? Are all these great promises of God, have they come to anything? Are they really real? The grass over there appears to be so green that I'm, I'm out. If you've ever had that struggle, and I've had that struggle, if you've ever had that struggle, then Psalm 73 is for you. Because in Psalm 73, that is exactly what the psalmist is going through. And you know what I love? I love this about God, and I love this about the Bible. This isn't disguised like God inspired this struggle and it's right here. God isn't like, oh man, this psalmist is really struggling. I'm gonna make sure that nobody can ever find what he's writing in these days of difficulty. 
God sort of like holds this up and says, let me tell you about someone I love and listen to the struggle that he went through. God isn't embarrassed by what's happening in Psalm 73. God didn't hide this experience from us. And here's the point of Psalm 73 in one sentence. Those who wait on the Lord will be exceedingly satisfied. If you wait on the Lord, even though you're not feeling it right now, you will be exceedingly, abundantly satisfied by God. So if you will, grab your Bible or your phone or your piece of paper in front of you, and let's start with verse one. I'm one of these, I like to kind of go through every verse, kind of, kind of old school. Truly, Psalm 73, verse one reads, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Okay, just pause there. Do you hear his struggle? He's saying, God, I, I know that you're faithful. I know that you're good. But that promise of your goodness and your faithfulness has not been true for who? For who? For me. For me recently. Like I almost slipped and, and, and fell. It's not been so with, with me. You might know the little expression. It, I think it's probably a little bit trite. Sometimes people will say, God is good, what? All the time and all the time, God is good. And the psalmist, if he heard that, would say, uh-uh, that's not been true for me. Not recently. I, I know that up here, you know, he's, he's a good God, but that's not been my experience at all recently. Things have been touch and go, frankly, between me and God recently. Now, this expression here in, in, in verse 2, when he says, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, he doesn't mean I'm going to fall and scrape my knee. He's talking about, I almost, because of something that happened to me, I almost fell completely in spiritual ruin. That's what he's talking about in verse 2. God's good, but I was almost ruined because of something that happened to me recently. What is it? He tells us in the next verse. Here's the explanation of the struggle. Verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no, the arrogant, the wicked, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. What a nice neighbor to have. Wouldn't that be a great roommate? (laughs) You hear the, the litany, this list that he rattles off of these wicked, arrogant people? They're arrogant, violent, cocky. They're oppressive. They overflow with folly. They're prosperous through shady dealings. They don't have any trouble in life at all, and their bodies are fat. What does that mean? Their bodies are fat and sleek. In general, in this culture, in ancient Israel, the only people who had any little bit of flab on them were people who were corrupt and who had gotten the money that they had gotten for all that food through illicit Mean. So this is another way of him saying, look at that belly. That's a corrupt person over there. 
Uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to, um, went to Uganda about 20 years ago. That, they have that saying in, in Uganda today, that if you've got a little, little bit of paunch, like you must have done something bad to get the, all that money. So what is he saying? He's saying God has been good to the wicked, but not to who? Not to who? Me. He's not been good to me. Because look at how they're just killing it right now. And I'm not. But he's not done. He's not done with describing the arrogant and the wicked in verse 9. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. In other words, they mock God. Not only is God blessing them in all these ways, but they're mockers of God. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. He's describing a person who lives a life of ease. And from his perspective, he's saying, the more they mock God, the more they what? Flourish. I don't know how you would have guessed that word, but anyway. That's basically what he's saying, right? right? The more they mock God, the more they flourish, the more, that they, the more they prosper. This is not right, and it's not fair. So long after I decided to give this message tonight, like as in this afternoon, about four or five uh, hours ago, I was flipping through some things in, 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 in the news and I learned just a few hours ago that someone I went to high school with is a financial and investment advisor for a major, major um, uh, American politician. Every one of you would have heard this person's name. And, and I know, I mean, if anything on the news is right, that this person is like completely corrupt. But in order to be an advisor to a politician on a, a national level, you've got to be like crushing it in your career, like killing it. And we went to Riverwood High School back in the early 2000s. Okay, the late 90s. All right. Okay, the early 90s. All right. Um, but can I be honest with you? This is just like me kind of laying my guts out on the table. Like there was a little part of me that was jealous. That was like, what, if, what am I doing in my life? I mean, he's crushing it to be advising somebody on a national level. Now, I'm very happy with my life. I really am. I tend to be very content until I read things like that. But there was a little part of me that just thought, if he's advising this particular politician, there is no way that there isn't some shady stuff going on. Lord, why is he just crushing it? I mean, this guy's like light years ahead of me in terms of influence. I literally, four or five years ago, had a Psalm 73 moment. Okay? Do you know anybody like that? Who do you compare yourself to? And you look and you say, all right, Jesus, like I'm over here, I'm trying to honor you. And yet I look over there at people who just blaspheme your name, don't care about you at all. And they're, they're crushing it. What's up? What's up, God? Listen to his regrets in verse 13. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Notice, go back to verse 1. God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. 
right? And he's saying, Lord, I have kept my heart pure. Lord, the times where I have sinned and sinned big time, I have run back to Jesus and just fallen down at the feet of the cross and humbly confessed and repented of my sins before you. And what does he say about all of that heart work? It was for what? For nothing. Totally in vain. God, did that really do anything between us or in my life? Verse 14, he goes on. For all day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. He's saying, I've not neglected repentance. I've not spurned God's rebukes of my soul. I've accepted that humbly. But it's been for nothing, apparently. And then, here's like the cherry on top. Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, or like, I'm going to share this with another Christian. I'm going to tell them about it. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, God, I can't even vent. I can't even share this with another believer because if I do, it's going to make you look what? Bad. I mean, he's just sort of like, I'm suffering and like, like my hands are, are handcuffed. I can't even share with a Christian about the struggle that I'm having right now. It's going to make you look bad. And then he says in verse 16, he kind of throws up his hands. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Became weary to consider this. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm just done with all this, Lord. And right when you would expect that he's going to say that, there's a little shift and, and he begins to give some resolution. What's the resolution? It's in verse 17 and following. It seemed to be a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Who's that pronoun? Who's there? Is that a pronoun, by the way? Okay, thank you. Just checking. All right. Who's there? The wicked. The arrogant. Those who he's been describing Truly you set them, here's the resolution, part of it. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Do you hear what he said? He said, when I went into your sanctuary, when I went and worshiped with the people of God, ah, then I saw, then I saw and don't miss what I'm about to do, gesture right here. Then my mind understood the resolution. He understood the resolution. What's the resolution? The resolution is he went to worship. And worship is like rubbing the spiritual sleep out of your eyes so that you can see clearly again. And the resolution is this. He says, they are killing it. Right now. But give it a little bit of time. Because it will not be like this forever. One of the great lessons of the whole book of Proverbs, all 31 chapters, is that we are very foolish if we consider the trajectory of someone's life or of our own lives, you know, they're doing this, that, the other right now, I'm doing this, that, the other right now. If we leave out this one component, namely time, 
You are not wise if you evaluate your trajectory of life or someone else's trajectory of life without taking into consideration of time, like putting in a mixing bowl, all the components of your, your life, you're doing this, that, the other, all these things, you're doing some good things, some bad things, all of that, you know, you're honoring God in these areas, not in these other areas. The book of Proverbs and the psalmist right here says, you need to throw one more ingredient in there, namely time. Namely, don't just consider how things are going today. Don't just consider how they're going a year from now, but ask yourself, what will become of that recipe in 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 70 years? And it's utterly different, the destinations that two people will end up in who today look like they're living pretty similar lives. And that's what Psalm 73 tells us. He says, when I went and I entered into the presence of God with the people of God, then I was able to perceive that the state of affairs now is not going to be the state of affairs later. And these people with their arrogance, shaking their fist at heaven, they are headed to where? Ruin, destruction. And it might not be this month or next year, or two years from now. But give it a little bit more time. And that's where they're headed. This prosperity of the wicked is temporary. It's fleeting. It absolutely will not last. Certainly in heaven, certainly in heaven, but almost always on earth as well. You see, when we go to worship, one of the blessings that God gives us is he kind of shines light a little bit further down the path for us so that we can see what a life walking, uh, walking in his grace, where that will lead us. So they're headed to slippery places. They're headed to ruin. There will be no recovery for them. And then he says something interesting in verse 20. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And what's he saying here in verse 20? He's basically saying, Lord, wake up. Are you napping? Like, wake up. Up here, I know that eventually they're going to go to ruin. But like, hello, wake up, God, get after it. Are you sleeping? Like, isn't it time for judgment to happen pretty soon on my enemies, please? They're mocking you and ignoring you. Bring your judgment now. Now, do you remember a moment ago I said in verse 19 that his mind understood the resolution, but what did not understand the resolution? Right here. Like the longest distance in the universe. Going from knowing it up here to knowing it right here. You see, it had not sunk down in his heart. And you know how I know it had not sunk down in his heart? It was just head knowledge for him. It's the very next verse. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. How is his struggle progressing? Not great. He's saying, God, I'm sort of like an ignorant brutish, snapping, snarling animal towards you. I'm pissed that this is where things are going, but I'm not seeing it right now at all. And I'm suffering. I'm suffering, God. I've got it in my brain, but it's like I'm still ignorant. 
You know, if you um, if if a dog you know steps on a big thorn and you grab the dog's paw, you know, to try to help the dog and 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 dig the thing out, what might the dog do to you? Snap at you, bite you, and 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 that's what he's saying here. That I was like a beast, snarling and snapping at God, because God, why are you not acting on my behalf? That's the response of an animal. The response of a beast. Now, maybe when you were in high school, some of you last year, some of you several years ago, maybe your parents told you the truth about who Jesus is. And um, they said, hey, you know, even though your non-Christian friends, you know, reject your beliefs, these things are still true. And maybe that wasn't very helpful for you. You're kind of like, yeah, right, I know, I know, I get it, but that's not affecting me here. You know, that's not affecting me here. Has that ever, ever happened to you? Someone gave you an answer that you sort of knew it cognitively, but it hadn't actually sunk down into your soul and your heart. Or maybe another time you were going through something difficult and you went to a Christian friend and you shared with them and they gave you an answer and said, well, you know, like really you shouldn't feel that way. It's like, well, they might be right, but that doesn't really do anything here. You know, it doesn't really help you out of your struggle. Um, true, but not, but not helpful. So here's one of the most important questions I can ask, ask you to, to ponder. Where do you think this is going? So, so far, he says, God, I know that you're good. I know that you're faithful, but I see everybody around me totally wicked, totally arrogant. They hate you. They despise you. And yet they're crushing it in life. And then I go to church and I see, okay, I know that this isn't going to be this way forever. And yet I'm kind of like a snarling, snapping beast at you, God, because you're refusing, you're refusing to act. Now, here's the question. What would you expect God to say at this point? It depends on your view of God, doesn't it? What you would expect God to say at this point. But wouldn't a very reasonable response from the God of the universe have been to draw his hand back and like slap the psalmist in the back of the head? Like, get over it. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that I'm the God of the universe? Don't you trust me? Do I mean, do I mean nothing to you? Dry those silly, silly tears. Cut it out, Christian. Wouldn't you, I mean, that would be not unreasonable that God would say that. Well, what does God say? What God does is utterly opposite. He looks at the, the bitter, angry, snarling, snapping psalmist and God enters into his pain enters into his pain and shows him mercy and grace upon grace upon mercy what watch how he does it watch how he does it this is so incredible this is like we're leading up to the to the the pinnacle of psalm 73 verse 22 i was an ignorant beast towards you verse 21 i'm so bitter and look at god's response in verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Oh, God tells the psalmist in the midst of 
of, of turmoil and anger and, and bitterness, I will continue to hold you in my hand. And not only that, this verse is one of the like three references to heaven in the entire Old Testament. He promises, not only am I with you right now in this life, but I will lead you into the next and I will be with you forever. Is that unbelievable? Now, in light of the overwhelming mercy and grace that the, that the Lord shows the psalmist, look at the psalmist's reply to God. He says, God, in light of your, your mercy, even though I, I have not trusted you, even though I'm this sort of rabid beast towards you, look at what he then says. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's like, oh, amazing. God connects what the psalmist knows in his head to what he knows in his heart. And when we would expect sort of like just normal God, like if God was normal, if he was like you and me, he would have slapped him in the head and said, shake out of it. But instead he says, you're struggling. You're bitter toward me because I'm allowing these arrogant people to prosper. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to overwhelm you and just knock you over with the flood of my mercy and my grace. And then the psalmist, how does he end? How does he end right there in verse 25 and 26? He says, oh God, who do I have in heaven but you? God, because of the mercy, the grace you have shown me, you are the greatest delight of my soul. You are my portion forever. Lord, there is no one who can satisfy like you. You see, the point of Psalm 73 is he didn't walk away, but he stayed even through the struggle. And what did God do? God came and met him in his struggle and satisfies him in a way that nothing else can. Now the psalm ends with these last two verses. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I just want to ask, is this, is this psalm where you have lived or maybe where you are living right now? You just wonder if following Jesus Christ has been worth it at all. If that's you, I want you to take note of the overwhelming mercy that God pours out on the psalmist. God says, I will be right by your side. Even though you want to leave me, I'm not going to let you because I've got you. I hold you in the palm of my hand, Christian. You're my child and I will love you through your struggle. Let me just mention two things by way of application. I wanna be very specific and, and practical. Um, very briefly, um, note that God is patient with you when you struggle. God is patient with you when you continue to sin. Uh, how many of you have let's say recently, the last few days, the last few weeks, you have committed that sin again 
and yet again and again, and you feel like, well, there's a certain point where God cuts me off, where God's like, all right, I will forgive you for that sin 1,000 times, but so help me. If you commit that sin 1,001 times, we're done. Have you ever had that thought? I've had that thought. I certainly have. But when I do, you know what I, I do? I turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where a woman who's um, very sexually promiscuous, she comes into a house where Jesus is and his disciples and some Pharisees, and, and she comes in and in humility, in repentance, she gets down before Jesus and she washes his manure-stained feet with her tears. And the disciples and some of the Pharisees say, she's a whore. You're going to let a woman like that touch you, Jesus? And she says, oh, boys. You know, when I came in, you didn't give me anything to drink. You didn't offer to wash my feet. But she, because even though she's an incredible sinner, she, in humility, has come before me. She knows that I'm the only one who can forgive her. I'm the only one who can change her life. She has washed my feet with her tears. She loved much. Jesus is saying the one who loves the most is the one who has been forgiven the most. And at the end of that story, there isn't like an an, an add-on verse at the end that says, now this story applies to you who will read this story down the ages, but it only applies a thousand times. When you read it the thousand and, and first time, your sins can't possibly be forgiven. So keep that in mind. God is patient with you when you struggle. God knows how you feel. God literally knows how you feel. Because he came down as a man in Jesus Christ. And he's felt the things that you have felt. John Flavel is a, a Puritan I, I studied over in England for a few years. I, I love his writings. I, I like that he, uh, he has this expression, complain to God you may, but complain of God you must not. I think that's true. If you've got complaints with God, bring them to them. He already knows. He's omniscient, right? Complain to him, but don't complain of him. Secondly, and I, lastly, I'll just close with this. The hard times that you will pass through when you're living in Psalm 73, and I'm sure that at some point everybody in this room will live through Psalm 73, but these hard times in this season of life that's so difficult will be so that you will be able to look back on your life and be utterly beholden to grace. It was the grace of God alone that kept me in the hand of God. If it was up to you or up to me, we would fall. We would fall. But as satisfying as that will be at the end of your life to be able to look back and to say, man, it was the power of God that kept me close to him. That will be nothing like the embrace that all who call on the name of Jesus Christ will receive when you draw your last breath. That is your destiny. That's where you're headed if you're following Jesus Christ and your trust is in him. Maybe the best words ever written about 
what the next world will be like are written by C.S. Lewis. And the last few sentences of The Last Battle. Anybody ever read all of the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, good. Well, hopefully more after tonight. Well, this is, I hate to spoil it, but this is how the, uh, the whole set of books ends. This is the last scene in The Last Battle. Sorry to ruin it. Aslan turned to them and said, Edmund, Peter, Lucy, Susan. He turned to them and said, "Um, you don't look as happy as I meant you to be. And Lucy said, well, we're so afraid of being sent away from you, Aslan. And you've sent us back into our world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And then a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railroad accident, Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. If you're clinging to Jesus Christ right now, that, that's where you're headed. He will keep you by his grace and rescue you from the pit of Psalm 73. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for these men and women, my brothers and sisters. I pray that they would take to heart this ancient, ancient, ancient lesson that was recorded probably 3,000 years ago. And that if any of them are living in Psalm 73, in that place of despair or or wondering if any of this is even worth it. I pray that by your grace, you would cling on to them and they would cling on to you. Thank you for the great and precious promises that you have entrusted to us. I pray that we each might leave here this evening singing the praises of our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name.